so much for joining us today. This is our second week in our Fixer Upper series. The, um, the inspiration behind this series is, I don't know if you've seen this show with Chip and Joanna Gaines, but they're all about home restoration, taking these homes that were broken down and restoring them to, to become this amazing home. Uh, we believe that God has restoration in store for you. He plans, He wants to restore your life. He wants to restore this area and the hearts of the people in this area. And uh, so last week we talked about the foundation. Let's go ahead and get the, the picture up there of all the different weeks we're going to do. The very first week was the foundation, which is a relationship with Jesus. Uh, not just believing in Him, but Him being your everything. It's the foundation to restoration in our lives. And then this week will be about marriage. And we purposely put this in this order because we believe these should be the priorities in your life. Number one should be Jesus, but number two should be your marriage. So we're talking today about marriage. Uh, I've been married for almost four years, so I am a guru. Yeah, exactly. I know everything about marriage. Uh, but no, I've been married almost four years, and it has been a breeze. It's been much easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, it has been so easy. I'm just kidding. That, is, that was a massive joke. Um, marriage has been extremely, extremely difficult. And for the, most, the majority of married couples, I believe, if you're honest, that would probably be true for you. But I also believe it's been one of the most fulfilling and joy-filled things. And so you have this balance of it being extremely difficult and it being extremely uh, joy-producing um, in our lives. Uh, so my wife Amber, I proposed to her over four years ago, um, and the story behind that's kind of funny. Uh, so I decided, okay, it's going to be January. We're going to propose. It's going to be at the barn, uh, the Greenway at the Greenway Manor House. A lot of you guys may have seen that before. And I decided, you know what, as like any good youth pastor, I'm going to get a couple of my students to help me out. And so I had Avery and Robert, who are actually here today from Liberty, which is awesome that they're here. And they, Robert was going to be the guy that took the pictures. And then Avery, basically I had set everything up to um, be on one switch where if he turned it on, it was, so like Pinterest basically makes it so hard for men to propose these things. Like it's got to be such a cool moment, you know? Like, on Pinterest, it'll be like this girl, it's like, he, uh, he got a hot air balloon, and we went up, and we looked down, and like, he had these fireflies and mason jars, and it spelled out, like, really It's like, how are we supposed to compete with that? Like, back in the day, it was like, do you want to get married? Yeah, let's do it. So, I went to have this cool moment, you know, and so with Avery, I told him, hey, I set it all up, there was these lights, I hung up these pictures, um, it said, will you marry me? Um, and I had like a record player set up to where the second that you flip that switch, it was all going to start. This was nighttime, so it's dark. So I told him, hey, she's going to go up the stairs, give it a few seconds, and then flip the switch. So I had set up this whole thing to where we were going to go on a double date. And uh, Jordan and Rachel, our friends, were going to pick us up. And they were gonna, we were going to go on this double date. Well, I lied to Amber, and I said, hey, we're working on something, uh, filming with the church. It might be a little while. And so she called me. She's like, hey, they're about to pick us up. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, we're still running late. She's like, are you kidding me? Like, you're, you're not ready. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. And, and she was not happy. Uh, and so they get there to the barn, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm in the barn. She's like, all right. So she starts 
It's completely dark, like creepy. Starts going up the stairs, and I'm like standing behind like a curtain, kind of like waiting for her. And like she gets up there, and I'm thinking like, ah, it's gonna flip. And Avery didn't flip the switch yet, and so it's completely dark. It looks like a horror film, like this this old barn, totally dark. And she's got her phone out, like like with the light, like looking. And then Robert was hiding in the corner, like with his like knees up, just like this. And she like came over and his like her light was like on him, and he didn't even acknowledge. He's just like looking through. Like, what in the world? And then Amy had been connected, like, oh yeah, they put the switch. And that's when like the moment happened. And she said yes, thankfully. Uh, and it was awesome. But it's funny because I had this original grand plan of like, hey, this is how it's gonna happen, it's gonna turn on, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I believe that God had an original plan for marriage. He had the blueprints set out for us in the in the Bible in Genesis 2, at the very beginning. He gives us the blueprint for marriage. In Genesis 2, it says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. What we see is that God's blueprint for marriage is to leave, cleave, and weave. Leave, cleave, and weave. What we see in Ephesians 5 is it says this. This is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. And he's talking about marriage. How marriage is supposed to be this representation of Jesus Christ and the church. So what we know is that if that, if that is true, Satan wants so desperately to divide your marriage. To keep you from having a fulfilling marriage. To keep you from having a marriage that is filled with unconditional love. What we see is that that in the, where the blueprints are in Genesis 2.24, in my Bible, if you flip the page, literally one page over, one verse later, it goes straight into Satan tempting Adam and Eve. I believe that he sees that marriage can be a perfect representation of Jesus and the church. And so he wants to divide your marriage. He wants to keep you from having a deep love in your marriage. So we're going to talk about how there are some killers to the lead, cleave, and weave, and how there's some revivers. The killers, just like, just like Adam and Eve, where they had a choice between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, I believe that every marriage has a choice to make, a decision to make, where there are revivers and then there are killers. But before we get into these two things, uh, there are a couple things I want you to know. First is that this, this message is going to be absolutely packed with Scripture. And the reason being is I believe it's the greatest hope that we have for our marriages. I believe it has the power that we need in our marriages. But we are a church that says that we are very adamant about reaching lost people. And so I know that we have people in, that are in all different camps here. Um, I know that we have some people here that are wives that don't have believing husbands. We have believing husbands that don't have believing wives. I know that, and, and I want to be very sensitive to that. So with this message, this is not going to be like, hey, you need to pray together. You need to read the Bible together. You need to do these things because if you don't have a believing spouse, that's going to be very hard to do. But I believe that every single one of these things is something that you can do and it's going to bless your marriage. And I believe that if you do these things, you're going to give your spouse a clearer picture of Jesus than they've ever seen before. And so I want to encourage you with that. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about how 
Um, believing wives and believing husbands bring holiness to a marriage, even if the other spouse isn't believing. So I believe that you can be a great picture of Jesus, even if your spouse doesn't believe in Jesus. Um, but another thing is that before I get into this, I want you to write this down. This isn't in your notes. But prayer is the primer. Prayer is the primer. You absolutely have to pray for your marriage, for your spouse, in order to see any sort of change, in order for any restoration to happen. Because I believe without prayer, then we're trying to do it on our own. We're thinking, man, I can do this by my own will, my own strength, but only the power that comes through prayer can truly affect our marriages. But when you, when pain is, or when the, when the prayer is the primer, I believe that, that it sets this up to be something very powerful in your marriages. So let's jump into God's blueprints for marriage. So the very first thing is to leave. And it says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother. And what this is, it's a matter of priority. A matter of priority. When you get married, your priorities change. You have a new number one. So the priority killers, the things that I believe that sometimes Satan tries to divide us with or to keep us from having our spouse as our priority, number one is the sequence of the family. Sequence of the family. What I mean is that means the order of priority in your family. A lot of times what happens is, is a couple get married and then they have kids and then their priority shifts from their spouse to their kids. Where everything's about their kids. Everything's about their activities, the things that they're doing, their grades, their sports, their extracurriculars. And everything that, all of their focus, all of their strength goes to their kids and it's almost like they forget about the spouse that's supposed to be the number one. That's a way that the sequence sometimes is messed up. Another thing is like, the Bible is very clear, like, that man leaves his father and mother. You have to, your priority shifts from your parents to your spouse. So that's one of the priority killers. Another is the spreading of time. You know, I think especially in this area, we are spread so thin when it comes to time. There's so many things that we have going on. We've got our jobs. We also have the things here at church. We've got our friendships. We've got all the stuff that the kids are doing. And we are spread so thin on time. And sometimes we spread our, our time all over the place and we leave no time for our spouses. I believe that we have to say no to some things if you want to make your spouse a priority. Now, this isn't 24-7. This isn't like a get-out-of-helping card. Like, oh, no, sorry, family time, I'm time with my spouse. But you need to be able to say no to some things because you need to show your spouse that they are a priority. You need to say, my time with you is of the utmost importance. We need to be able to have that time. So those are the priority killers. Priority revivers. Number one is scheduled time. Scheduled time. Now, realize I put in the word scheduled because I, I, I believe that if it's not scheduled, most likely it won't happen. Deuteronomy 24.5, this is when they were kind of giving some of the, uh, the laws and the commandments to, to the Israelites. And it says this, a newly married man must not be drafted into the army or be given any other official responsibilities. He must be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he has married. So it was like very, they were very adamant about this personal time, this connection with your spouse. Now obviously we don't do this nowadays, but we can transfer that over to where we see, man, it is so important for us to, to have a priority with our time. 
uh, when it comes to our spouse. You know, I, I, I firmly believe that you need to put it on the calendar and you need to budget for it. You need to plan. You need to, at, at, at the beginning of the week, beginning of the year, plan when are we going to be spending time together, when are we going to be having some trips together, when are we going to be doing these things, and budget for those things. Because that shows your spouse you are a priority to me. I want to spend this time with you. I'm going to, to schedule this. I'm going to budget for this. So the priority reviver scheduled time. The second is intentional understanding. Intentional understanding. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. You see, sometimes what happens is a husband and wife get married, but the, the priority isn't there as far as this is my person I go to. This is my support. This is where I get my strength from. And instead they go to uh, a parent or, or, or friends or somebody else to get somebody to understand them. They go to somebody else to say, man, I need some strength in this area of my life. I need some support. And instead, they go, they, instead of going to their spouse, they go to somebody else as their main source of strength. When you get married, your priority is your spouse. And I believe that means that you're saying, okay, my main source of strength is my spouse. Now, every one of us needs friends we can go to for support, but our main source of strength is our spouse. And so we need to make sure, with this being said, that we become the kind of people that, that is somebody that your spouse would want to go to. Somebody that they look to you and naturally they think, man, I want to go to them for my strength. They are so supportive. The Bible says that we need to treat your wives with understanding. So we need to be better listeners and empathizers. We can't just be fixers. To understand is to not just say, okay, this is the problem that you have. This is what you need to do. If you don't do it, then I don't understand why you're upset about it. No, it's to seek understanding, to say, man, I wonder why they're feeling that way. Man, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that way. Trying to, to legitimately understand what they are going through. Be someone that your spouse can go to with their soul. Be someone that they, they see you as their support system. You know, we have to intentionally seek to understand our spouses. The second thing, so there's, there is leave. The second thing is cleave, to cleave. Second part of that verse is, and is joined to his wife. And this is a matter of intimacy, a matter of intimacy. The intimacy killers that we see, the first is selfishness, selfishness. I remember when I got married, man, I thought... I'm like, I may not be good at a lot of things, but being a husband, I'm going to be really good at that. Like, I was just prideful in that. I thought, man, this is, I'm going to kill it. And I got married, and it's like when you are constantly around somebody, like your selfishness just comes to the surface. I remember seeing all this selfishness in my life where, where I just wondered what was good for me. And marriage, you know, this is... This is going to be hard to understand for some of you, but marriage is not about you and your happiness. It's not. It's about bringing glory to God. And what brings glory to God is not just like, I'm going to do what makes me happy, but looking at your spouse and saying, I'm going to put them above me. I'm going to do what's best for them. I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to, I'm going to give as much as I can instead of just looking at what I can receive. 
So selfishness is an intimacy killer. The second is comparison. Comparison. It is so easy to compare and to compete when it comes to anything in life, but especially when it comes to our marriages. It's so easy to think, man, the grass is greener over there, or man, they don't have all the messes that we go through, or man, that, and we're, we go on social media and we see all these nice highlight reels of these marriages, and we think, why can't my marriage be like that? And we compare. But first off, like every marriage has their messes. Everybody has the stuff that they're going through. You know, we, we usually don't post those sorts of things, or if we do, we turn into like a humble brag, like, oh man, life is so hard, like we had this huge fight, but we like got over it and life is perfect now. Like everybody, like everybody puts out their best self on social media. So don't compare their highlight reel to your bloopers, you know? We all have things that we go through, we all have messes. So don't allow this, this live comparison to go into, to, to seep into your brain. You're meant to focus on your marriage, your spouse. You have one person that you're accountable to, and that's Jesus. Nobody else. So you focus on your marriage and your spouse. Don't worry about the other marriages. Don't think, how, how am I competing? How am I comparing to other marriages? Do other mar- is this like, where would we be? Are we mediocre? Are we a great marriage? Are we bad? No, it's just you and your spouse. You have one person that you're accountable to, and that's Jesus. And so don't let comparison creep in. Another is lack of repentance slash forgiveness. A lack of repentance slash forgiveness. Lack of repentance means one, like you are refusing to admit that you're wrong or to truly apologize. But then even more than that, repentance means an actual changing of ways. And so if you're lacking that ability to say, man, I am really, really sorry. I messed up. Or to even like, not just that, but to say, I'm going to do whatever I can to not make that happen again. That's one thing, but another is lack of forgiveness. This is something I have a hard time with, is that I'll say, yeah, I forgive, but I hang on to a bitterness. And it, and it comes about in other ways. And, and to, uh, to, if I lack that forgiveness, it kills the intimacy between me and Amber, because I've got this bitterness that's between us. And so all three of those things are, are intimacy killers. Intimacy revivers, number one, is unconditional love and respect. Unconditional love and respect. <coughs> Ephesians 5 says this, So again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. For the most part, women crave love and men crave respect. Just how we are wired how God made us. Women crave love. Men crave respect. Now, this does not mean that men, we do not have to respect our wives and that, that wives, we don't have to, to love the husband. Like, that doesn't make sense. But what it's saying is that, men, women, they, they thrive on knowing that they're loved. Men thrive on knowing that they are respected. So men, to, to truly love your wife unconditionally, that Christ loves the church, this this doesn't mean that, man, I'm, I'm going to try to do enough or love enough to where she won't complain or be upset or whatever. It's saying, I'm going to try to pour as much love as I can on her. I'm going to go above and beyond over the top, whether she deserves it, whether she doesn't. I'm just going to love. And just like that song, Reckless Love, if that is the, the comparison that we have, man, in my life, I have some work to do. 
Because we are supposed to have this relentless pursuit of our lives that is just over the top, where they don't ever have to question whether you love them or not. And wives, to respect your husbands, we as men need trust from you and the ability to, to allow us to try to be leaders. And what that means is that we need to know that you believe in us, whether we fail or not. We need a little bit of, of, of trust to be able to try and fail. And a lot of times for me, I've not earned that trust. But, but I need to know that Amber believes in me, that she thinks the world of me, and, and that she believes in me as, as a leader. And so wives, to, to respect your husbands is, is to believe in them, to, to even allow them to try. Just allow them to try to lead on some different things and try to be that, that source of strength. And he might fail, and he might you know, fall down, and he might not be perfect, but lift him up anyways and say, man, I believe in you. Something bad at work might be happen. Might happen. Don't go to him and, and, and just be like, do you understand? Like, no. Lift him up in respect and say, man, I believe in you. Men, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And this is where prayer is so important because I do not have the ability to unconditionally love Amber outside of prayer. I don't have that ability like to, to love um, Amber like Christ loves me unless I'm connected to God and I'm experiencing that love for myself. So, so those are the, or that's the first intimacy revival. The second is studying your spouse. To study your spouse. Every person is made in the image of God. And we all reflect him in different ways. And so to study your spouse is to, to look at them and to see, okay, in what ways do they reflect God in such a bright way? 2 Corinthians 4 says, So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. But the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. So there are some things that God is doing in our lives that is going to last forever. Parts of our character that will last forever. And so what it means to study your spouse is to look and to see in what ways does my spouse reflect the image of God, something that God is doing in their life, in their heart, that isn't just going to last here on earth, but will last forever. And to speak out those things, to say those things to your spouse, to say, man, I love that you are so organized. You, you, man, you, you love order. Like that's something that is from God, you know, like that's part of his character. So you look and you study your spouse and you see in what ways uniquely do they represent Jesus in their character. And you study those things and you look and you see and then you don't just keep them to yourself. You tell your spouse, man, I love that you like. And, and, and you tell them that. And you study them and you look and you see, okay, in what ways... You know, they are made in the image of God. In what ways do they shine? Do they, in what angle of, of the image of God, do they, it just comes so natural to them? Or they've been working on, you see God doing something incredible in them. Tim Keller said this, spiritually discerning spouses can see a bit of what God sees in their partners and it excites them. I want to ask you, do you do that for your spouse? 
Can you see a bit of what God sees in them? Does it excite you? Because our human nature is just to simply look at all the negative, look at all the things that aren't going to last eternally, to focus on those, and to try to fix our spouses. I've done that a lot. I think, man, I need to fix him. There's this part of her life and that man that I just focus on. And it's like I try to fix. And I can't do anything. I can't fix anybody. The power of God is, is the one that makes them more like Christ. And so I want to ask you, have you just been trying to fix your spouse? Pointing out all the things that drive you crazy. Focusing on all the things that drive you crazy. Or have you, like this, been seeing the bits of their character that God sees in them and letting it excite you. Saying, man, where, where are they just naturally just glowing the character of Jesus? So when you focus on that and then you speak that out, there is a confidence that comes from that. And in that confidence comes life change. And then a lot of times what you'll see is a, a change in character because you're focusing on the things that, that God has basically taken his a piece of his character and put it into your spouse. But you have to study your spouse to know that. You know, God makes us unique. He gives us all different gifts, different personalities. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Your spouse is a masterpiece. God's masterpiece. And he created them with gifts. With, with, with abilities, with strengths, with passions that are different than yours. But he's given every single person that, and so you need to focus and see, just study them. I want to, I encourage you to take personality tests and spiritual gifts tests. The, the amazing thing is that in step two of our growth track, we actually do these things. So if you have not done these, I strongly suggest that you go to growth track. Step two, you'll be able to take a personality test and a spiritual gifts test, and it's awesome. So I want to encourage you to, to know your spouse's love language. You know, the five are quality time, personal touch, gifts, words of affirmation, and acts of service. Know what, what is it, like, what do they thrive on? How do they feel the most loved? It's funny, I actually got my in-laws here today, and um, I, I called up Amber's dad, Rick, and I called him up when um, I was asking, basically I was just asking, hey, um, I want your permission to be able to take your daughter out on a date. And so I was talking to him, and he was like, and, and Amber and I had known each other for a while now, so he was just asking different questions, and, and he asked, um, do you know her, her love language? And no, this was when I was asking about like, asking her to be my girlfriend, but he said, do you know her love language? And, um, and it's funny, I was like really nervous on the phone. Yeah, yeah, it is a, uh, it's quality touch. And, um, <laughs> so what? And uh, thankfully, he had the grace to look through that and see, like, feeling his quality time and personal touch. Uh, but it was really funny. Quality touch. Um, but Amber's love language is different than mine. Her love language is acts of service, which is my last. Okay? So that's if I were to do the dishes or I were to vacuum or I were to do different things to show, hey, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm serving you in these different ways. That's my last thing. Okay, my number one is gifts. And, and not gifts that are very practical, like ridiculous ones. It's like, oh, that's cool, but it's like, you may not use it that much. Like she, 
our gifts are like in the middle, but very, very practical. Um, like I remember, I just randomly thought like, man, it'd be so cool to buy her a bike and surprise her with it. And so I bought this bike and I told her ahead of time like, hey, I, I need you to like look at, the second you see the surprise, be like pumped about it, whether you are or not. <laughs> so, okay. And then so like, I like bring it up and then I'm like, ta-da! And it's like a bike. And she's like, oh! It's a bike! I was like, yeah! It's like a cool bike! And she was like, I, like I've got a bike! And I was like, yeah, I know, but this is like a different bike, but it looks like cooler. And like for her, like I wasn't focusing on like what, how does Amber feel love? Like what are, what are her strengths? What are the things that she loves? I was focusing on me, like that's a cool bike. I think this is awesome. And I was focusing more on myself than what she would love. And sometimes that's what we do is we just look through our lens instead of studying our spouses and knowing what they love. You know, I really want to encourage you to take the personality test. There's one called um, 16personalities.com. And uh, like for myself, I scored an ENFP, and there's so many parts of that that it, it talks about how you are in your relationships, like you're like romantically and as a parent and in work. And a lot of it, I read it, and I'm like, oh man, this really makes a lot more sense as to why I act the way that I act. And it's the same thing for your spouse. You will get a deeper understanding of your spouse when you see, man, they are different than me, which doesn't mean that that's wrong. Means that they're different, and so they are going to react in a situation different than them. This thing is really cool. I really encourage you to take it, um, and then have your spouse take it and sit down and talk about it. Uh, it's funny because it'll it'll give you different celebrities that like scored this uh, personality. So ENFP, I got Robert Downey and uh, Junior and Will Smith. So I was like, I got the cool personality. Like that is the coolest. But then it gave fictional characters that have ENFP. I got Michael Scott from The Office. <laughs> Uh, Phil Dunphy from Modern Family, and Willy Wonka. So, that took the air out of the balloon real quick. I was like, wow, not that cool. Uh, but anyway, study your spouse. The third is an attitude of humility. Attitude of humility. Philippians 2, 3-4 says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You know, in football, uh, at county, I, I gave a talk one time, and I asked, hey, what, what does humility mean? What is that? And, and I took Bruce's hand, and he was like, if you only, like, embarrass yourself really bad. I was like, oh, no, that's humiliation. That's humility. <laughs> humility is when you put others first. Like, when you um, have a proper view of yourself, and a lot of times in marriage, we don't have this humility to where uh, we, Amber and I just went to a marriage conference and it said a lot of times when it comes to our own um, faults, our own mistakes, we blame our circumstances and overlook our character. So we think, oh, I'm really tired, I'm really hungry, that's why I laughed out in that way. A lot of times with our spouses, we, we view it as a character issue and not their circumstances. And so it's like being able to have that grace to understand, man, sometimes, like, Give your spouse the grace that you want in your own life when it comes to your shortcomings. Um, and then the third thing in the blueprint is to weave. To weave. It says, and the two are united into one. This is a matter of unity. Matter of unity. Unity killers. One is dominance. Dominance. 
So there's a, a marriage conference one time, and, and they said, hey, all the men who feel like their wife has, has dominated them at any time, I want you to stand over here on this side of the stage. And all the ones that have not, I want you to stand on this side. And so literally every single guy except for one lined up in this room. And then there was one lined up over here. So the guy came over, and he was like, can you give us, give us your tips? Like, how? Like, well, how did you do this? And he was like, Oh, I don't know. Like my wife told me to stand over here. <laughs> um, I found I found that online, so don't give me the that. But dominance is a disposition of an individual to assert control in dealing with others. Men and women, we both have been guilty of dominating. You know, it's the disposition of an individual to assert control in dealing with others. A lot of times what happens in marriages is one spouse has a stronger personality and they assert the dominance. They basically say, okay, your dreams, you give up your dreams, work, it's, it's my show and that. And a lot of times that's what happens and, and it absolutely kills unity. You know, just because somebody might have a stronger personality or might be more outgoing or louder or whatever, does not mean that, that the other person is supposed to give up who they are. There's a difference between giving of yourselves and giving up yourselves. So when you're in a marriage, it's supposed to be a perfect unity of the two of you. God made you different for a reason. And that doesn't mean that the one person is supposed to drop who they are in order to make the other person happy. It means they're supposed to figure out how does this come together to work. You know, there is a, a something in, in science called co-dominance. It's when both, um, both things are completely expressed to create one. There's something called a Rhone force. It's like a, it's, so go ahead and show that. What, what, what that is, and I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but Rhone, R-O-A-N, is where both colors are brought to full expression. So you see two horses that come together and create that horse, and you see both colors come to full expression in that horse. A, a uh, unified marriage is two spouses coming together, and it's a full expression of the two of you. Full expression of the two of you. So you have two different personalities. So your dreams, your passions, your personalities meld together. To create unity, not dominance, not saying my dreams are better, my passions are better, my personality is better, so you don't get to do what you want. It's a co-dominance. It is a bringing together where both colors are brought to full expression. So that's a unity killer. Another is lack of focus. Simply where you're focusing on the wrong things. You focus on the smallest things when God has called you to so much. Uh, so much more. You forget the purpose of your marriage. So the unity revivals. Number one is being eye to eye. Being eye to eye. First Corinthians one ten says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Unity, seeing eye to eye, this takes communication. You guys aren't going to agree on everything. I promise you that. But you need to have the communication to see eye to eye. To try to have that unity in your marriage and your parenting and everything that you do together. Number one is being eye to eye. Number two is being skin to skin. Skin to skin. I don't have to 
explain this too much. But God not only allows sex within marriage, He actually commands it. And He wants it for you. And, and He wants you to have great sex in your marriage. He actually wants that. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-4 says, The husband shall, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. You see, God invented sex. And obviously it needs to be in the confines of marriage. But I don't know where we got this idea that sex in marriage is boring, that it needs to be bland, that it needs to just be vanilla. You know, sex in marriage, just because something is pure, does not mean that it's not vibrant or passionate. The best sex that you can have is in marriage, is in those confines. You know, have you guys ever read the song Solomon? It is pretty steamy if you haven't read it. It's a book in the Bible. If it had a cover of it, it would probably have like a Fabio dude like on the front, like over there, like shirt off. Like, it is very steamy. But it's showing that like sex in marriage is a beautiful thing. It can be passionate. It can be vibrant. It can be awesome. And it is so much better when it is in marriage. But when it comes to our marriages, if we want unity, we need that, that skin to skin, that where you are just completely open in front of the other person, nothing covering, and you're just like, I'm accepting you for you, you're accepting me for me, you know? And just that absolute honesty, that absolute, just it, it represents this, this passion. And then the third thing is being shoulder to shoulder. Shoulder to shoulder. Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, because he created Adam, and he wasn't created yet, he said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now this word helper has been hijacked. And what, what, it, what it's done is it said, You know what? The Bible is sexist. It says that men are greater than women, that women are just supposed to come along and help. They're not supposed to have their own dreams. They're not supposed to have their own passions. They're not, they're not even supposed to have really their own personality. It's just like they're supposed to just be helping the guy, and that's it. But it's kind of been halfway. It's been hijacked. Because this word in the Hebrew is azer. And this word azer is twice in Genesis. It's used for women three times for the nations to whom Israel appealed for military aid, so like an ally in battle. And then you have to kick her 16 times for God as Israel's helper. So we see that, that in a marriage, what happens is you are standing shoulder to shoulder, fighting for one goal. You're not fighting against each other. You're fighting for each other. Side by side saying, no matter what the storms ahead, no matter what the battle brings, I'm not leaving your side. You are my ally in battle. You are my team. We're going to work together in unity. Your strength, my strength brought together to make an amazing team that's way better if I were to do this fight alone. And we all have different strengths, we all have different roles, but that does not mean that one of them is not strong. We stand together, strong together for Jesus. We're fighting for one goal, and that's the gospel. We're going to make the name of Jesus known, and we're going to fight for his love. Because here's the thing about, about life. There is good and there is evil. 
There is heaven, there is hell, there is Jesus, there is Satan, and we are fighting for the good. And so when you have a marriage that is unified, it is saying, you know what, we are not just focused on fighting each other anymore. We're just, we don't have time for that. We need to stand shoulder to shoulder and fight for one thing. That is the love that is greater than anything else you can experience in this world. And, and we are going to fight to make sure every person that we know knows that they are loved with an unconditional love. They are accepted more than they could ever imagine. And that somebody died for them and fought for them.